0: following message is from christian life austin for more information about christian life please visit clcaustin.com thank you for listening you doing good all right all right all right what a joy to see you today and it's an honor wow i really got up this morning so help me i got up this morning and i text 10 pastors we have this little group text and i text them all and i said hey I said, it's not easy. I said, these are these are not easy preach days. It's summertime. People are gone. You wonder where they are. That's in your mind while you're trying to preach somebody that's here. And I said, uh, just, just give them heaven today. Let the grace of God, this legion, give them heaven today. And uh, I got a lot of answers back. And one of them said, well, I was going to give them something else, but I now give them heaven since you said that. <laughs> but what a joy to see all of you today. It's an honor. Now, I, I want to say something. I I don't get to, to the door as much on the second, third service as I do in the first service. I'm there very early in the first service, but uh, sometimes I'm, get, I'm taken away in the second and third. But uh, if, I, if I don't know your name at that door, don't come up and ask me, you, tell me what my name is. Don't do that to me. That don't, that don't do good because it, when I have to think, sometimes it's hard to think. And when I can just roll it, sometimes I can roll it, sometimes I'll shock you and I'll say, I know your birthday too, bam. But... Why don't you do me a favor? If you're new here and you come in that door, why don't you say, Pastor, I am so-and-so. I am Wyatt Earp. I'm Doc Holliday, or whatever you want to say. Just tell me your name. Do it three or four times. I'll lock in, and then you don't have to worry about me knowing who you are, because everybody needs to know that they have a name in this house, and we're glad to have all of you in the house today. <laughs> kind of reminds me. kind of reminds me of the story of these two women that uh, they, they were neighbors for a long time, their husbands. Worked together and they they played cards together when their husbands were gone and they played until they got to be old and both both of the families retired and, and so the men went fishing and the women was playing cards one day and one of them looked at the other and she said I'm gonna have to have your help can you tell me what my name is and the other looked at her like what what are you saying and she then she kind of paused and she said how soon are you gonna need that information Now, I know, I know, I got a younger audience here today, but I promise you, when you hit that old 5-0, all of a sudden, things are going to say, er, instead of running full speed, they're going to say, "E, and it's going to stop when you want it to start and run. So just get ready for it, all right? So we may not know your name today, but God knows your name, and he's happy to have you in his house today. Stand up all over the house. We're delighted to see you. It's an honor. We are running with the Giants, and we did... The men in Man's Month in June, we did Isaiah, and we did Jonah, and we did uh, Elisha, and we did Jacob. We had fun. And then last week, Brad opened up with Mary and those divine moments with God. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not doing Mary today. I'm doing, I'm doing one a long way from Mary today, but I'm going to be in some of your territory today. I'm going to be in some of your lives today, and so I'm going to preach about a woman named Rahab. And if you've never heard of her, well, you're going to find out a little bit about her today. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor. Here is our scripture that we've been using every week. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So what we're doing, we're in this race, folks, and we're circling the track There's a great grandstand around us. We're surrounded by this host of witnesses. And when you're in a when you're playing a game or you're running on the track, you hear all these voices, it's hard to distinguish one from another. But so we're pulling out these particular people that's going to help you run your race and finish your race. And so today we're talking about a woman named Rahab. And if she came out of the stands and she came to where you were running on the track, what would she have to say to you? Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor. And you may be seated. You may be seated. So Rahab's coming out of the stands today. You know, she's actually mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, in the Heroes of Faith chapter, she's there. But what's interesting about Rahab is that she was, she was a harlot. She was a prostitute, a madam. She had a house, a bill of fame. And if a picture is worth a thousand words, then a word perhaps is worth a thousand pictures. The word prostitute, the word harlot, the word madam makes a lot of things go on in your mind. And yet, yet, she ends up being one of the great grandmothers of Jesus Christ. (laughs) I told you the end of the story. So how does a person go from being a prostitute into the lineage and the genealogy, her blood flowing through the veins of the Messiah himself? What can she possibly say to us? I'm convinced of this. I think she would say my life did not start out very well. It was very dark, incredibly disappointing, and that's how my life was being written. And so today, folks, I dedicate this message to all of you who say I'm not liking, Pastor, my story so far. This can't be possibly what God had in mind for my life. My life feels like one great disappointment. Let me give you a fact. God's already written your story. He's already written your story. Psalms 139, he said, all the days for you were written in God's book before one of them came to be. (laughs) He's already wrote about you. Some of you are thinking, are you telling me God wrote this? No. The answer is no. He didn't write this. But God wrote Psalms 139. He had a beautiful story written for you. But here is the issue. We've added a few chapters and taking out some of his goodness that he's trying to write. I added a few crazy chapters myself when I was a young man. The issue this morning sometimes is when we start writing our story and it goes in a little disappointing direction, we shrug and say, well, that's just the way my life's going to be. It's always going to be that way. It's just my lot in life. So just get saved. Give your heart to Jesus. But it's not going to get any better. So just hang on and try to go to heaven. That's not true. Rahab would come along and say, hey, my story started out as bad as it could get. It couldn't be any worse. Who knows why she ended up in harlotry and prostitution? Was she forced into it? Did she choose it for herself? I guarantee you, though, every time she was with a man, she felt the shame. She felt the guilt. She did not, know, she did not like how her life story was being written. But then she ends up as the great-grandmother of Jesus. And it just blows my mind. Here's what she would say. This is what she'd say Hey, you need to let God write your story. That's what she'd say. She'd say, surrender the pen to him and let him write the story. The following verse follows our theme verse that we just read Hebrews 12 and 1. Here's Hebrews 12 and 2. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And I declare to this congregation, if God's big enough to start your faith, he's big enough to finish your faith. If God's great enough to get you going, he's great enough to finish you. Come on, come on, let's give Jesus a hand clap here today. There has to be a moment in your life, even for you Christians and non-Christians, where you say, I've got to figure out a way to get the pen out of my hand and get it into God's hand. I love Rahab's story. Grace and mercy screams her story to us every day, all day. Her story lets us know that God can write our story. And I think the first thing that she would say to us if she came out of the stands and started running along beside us on the track, I think she would say the story begins but God's searching for you. He'll look for you. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro in the earth. See, God's looking for you and for me to be in his story. You need to know that. I need you to know that that's God's way. When he starts to rewrite your story, this course correction, we have to put, we have to put the pen in God's hand. But he initiates the process. He said in John 15, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I want you to look around and say, oh, God, he's close, isn't he? He sure is because you didn't choose him. He chose you. And when you got up this morning and made the decision to be in the house of God, he said, oh, good, I got another shot today. I'm going to get a hold of some lives today and turn their lives around and somebody say hallelujah to that. Yes. You know, folks, I grew up in church. I was, I was, if our church had a nursery, it didn't because our church had about 20, 25 people in it. We didn't have a nursery. We had a Sunday school room where mamas could take crying babies. And I was literally in the nursery of the church the Sunday after I was born. You can count on both hands the Sundays we missed in my adolescence. I, I, had those, <laughs> I had those 100% attendance pens. And when you're a little kid, you wear them with pride because it looks like you're a decorated soldier or something. You know what I'm saying? Those 100% pens. Every year I got one of those pens because we just didn't miss church. I always go to church. And when I was a 7-year-old, I got baptized on a Sunday afternoon. And I really wasn't a, wasn't a bad kid, really. There's a couple of things though, that I did that I wish I hadn't done. I was a little rebellious sometimes, and I've taken it, you know, you reap, you sow, you reap, you sow, you reap, and, and I would take a dare. Somebody would dare me to do something, and I would, I would bust myself to do it to show, show them I could because I always ran with kids a little older because my brother was two and a half years older, and I ran with kids older, and I wanted to show that I belonged with them and Mom and Dad told us we were sharecroppers. Mom and Dad told us that there was an old swimming hole about a mile from our house. They told us not to go ever go swimming in that swimming hole because Dad had killed some snakes in that swimming hole. And Mama said, if you get in, you jump in there, you're going to get bit and you're going to die. That's how Mama did it. Mama didn't say, you know, baby, we may have to take you to the hospital. She said, no, you'll die, you'll die. <laughs> Judgment, Mom. But someone called me a chicken one day if I didn't at least try and just jump in. Said, you can just get right out. So I looked around, didn't see mom, <laughs> and I jumped in. Now I've got, the, I've got a problem. I got out. I didn't get bit. How do I make myself look like I hadn't been in the water? Because <laughs> mama said she's going to wear me out if I didn't, if I didn't, went in that water. And, and, and that day didn't end well. Remind me if you want to come by and just get the rest of the story, Paul Harvey's got the rest of the story for you. <laughs> and a couple of years later, we had moved to town. And I had a neighbor across the street that was a couple of years older than me, and I was in his backyard one day, and we'd been playing catch. He said, hey, you ever thrown ripe peaches at cars? I said, no, never done that. He said, I bet you can't hit a car. I bet you can't. Well, don't do that to me. Just don't do that to me. I'm nine years old. I'm going to prove I can. So I picked up one of those real ripe peaches. It was real soft, and, and a car came by. He said, you know, nobody ever stops, and if they do, we can run and hide. I hit the first car I chunked at. It was an accident. I wasn't that good. But the driver didn't stop, thank God, and we moved on. So we ran out of peaches. He said, hey, we got some eggs in the house. You want to throw some eggs? And I said, yeah, let's throw some eggs. I was in it. I was sinning. (laughs) So we threw two dozen eggs, maybe three dozen eggs. We just chunked eggs. We hit some cars. Nobody stopped. Then we ran out of overripe peaches and we ran out of eggs. And he, he said, hey, we got some rocks over here. Now we're sinning. Now we're sinning, and I I threw a rock, and a rock the size of a golf ball does a whole lot more damage than an overripe peach with a little seed in it. But it didn't compare to the damage that my dad did on my behind when he found out his nine-year-old boy was hurling rocks at passerby or cars. May I declare to you I never did it again. I never wanted to do it again. I never desired to do it again. In fact, that kid asked me one day and I shoved him away from him and said, get out of my life. But I will declare that's before I received the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. <laughs> Dad paid for a windshield and I started seeking mercy. About two months in my life, I didn't think I was going to ever get out of that dungeon. It was a dark moment in a young man's life at nine. And because of that dark moment, God came searching for me. And I had a lot of prayer meetings in my, in my room late at night. Now fast forward to college, my first year. I've been battling the call of God. I was working and cramming for exams and I felt as if I was stuck and I didn't have a pastor dad or somebody that knew somebody that I could get started in the ministry. And I felt like I was never going to get out of where I was. I was going nowhere fast. And I started working with some people in a store and their language wasn't just the best. And so I started adapting my tongue to their tongue. And I started saying things that I, sh- I shouldn't say. I never used the Lord's name in vain. I never used the bad, bad words. But I did say the word that's opposite of heaven. I said that word very, pretty regular because it just sounded good coming out of my mouth. And I used those expletives and trying to fit in. And I was fighting the call of God. And one day I was in the back of the store and God came looking for me at my workplace. Hmm. God had the nerve to come to where I was and worked and tell me if I'm going to preach his word, I need to improve my diction and my talk and my vocabulary. And then I got depressed and despondent because I saw all this stuff like a movie in front of me, all these bad scenes, throwing the rocks, throwing the eggs, throwing the, throwing the peaches. And, and, then, I, and then, I, then, then, then you know I did all that, jumping in the lake that had snakes and all that kind of stuff. And it bothered me. It bothered me. I never drank. I never smoked in my life. I never did drugs in my life. But I was throwing rocks at cars. And all that flashed in front of me and I said, I can't preach the gospel, there's no way. But God came searching for me and with all my stuff, he wanted me to be in his story. He was tired of me writing my story. And at 19 years of age, I'll tell you a little later, I had a prayer meeting with him and God turned my story into his story. And now I'm still writing his story in my life right now. God can do that in your life. That's what happened to Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute, a madam who lived on the walls of Jericho. Moses is now dead, and Joshua is now leading the nation of Israel, and they're reclaiming the land that God promised them. That's Canaan. And they need to conquer Jericho, but they have to size it up first to see if they can defeat these guys. So the Bible says that Joshua, who's the son of Nun, that don't mean he didn't have any parents. His daddy was named Nun. Sent two spies and said, go look over the land, especially Jericho. And they entered, what's this, into the house of a prostitute named Rahab and they stayed there. Here's the point. Rahab wasn't searching for them. They found her. And they ended up in her house. Why? Because God had a plan for Rahab. And he knew if he could ever get the pen out of her hand, he could write a story that she would be stunned at and never believe it could happen. And I'm telling you, if you let God have the pen in your life, he'll write a story for you that you can't believe is going to happen in your own life. God made sure that in the city of Jericho, 600,000 people, that they just happened to crawl in the window of her house. I'm saying that to say this. God knows all your addresses. And he's coming to talk to a bunch of you. He really is. He's saying, hey, isn't it about time that you give up the writing ministry and let me start writing my story in your life? And you know it. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, he stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone will hear my voice, he's saying, open the door. I will come in and dine with him. I'll sup with him and let him sup with me. He could burst the door down. If he wanted to, because he's God, but he doesn't do that. He just says, How about this Sunday? Are you tired of just running your own road? Are you tired of doing the things you're doing? Isn't it about time? Come on. And you just need to know that your God will search after you. Now, here's a warning if you just continually put him off. The Bible says in Genesis 6-3, his spirit will not always strive with man because he gives you moments of opportunity and I think moments of opportunity are what we call the house of God and the presence of God. And if you're feeling the Holy Ghost in your life and the spirit of God moving in your life, you need to lift up your hands today before the service is over and say, yes Lord, I will receive what you have for me because I'm tired of doing my own stuff. I need you to take the pen out of my hand and start writing stuff you want in my life say amen to that it's kind of dark right now where I am so maybe if I just change job get involved or join the dream team or lead a life group if you're in that intersection and where it's dark I'm telling you God is searching for you and he wants to turn your life around the second thing that she would tell us in her story she said God always makes a way for you to get that story in that story he always makes a way God's going to put you in his story. If you let him, he'll put you there. It's not enough for her house to be visited and to be sought after, but somehow there had to be a way for her to get a rewrite of her very dark story. So after the guy spied out the land, you've got to hear this. This is very good history right here. They came back to Rahab's house, and they said, Hey, Rahab, don't tell anybody that we did this, but we're going to crawl out your window. And we're going back to the nation of Israel. We're going to come back to this place with an army. We're going to destroy this place. Jericho's going down. And she says, I don't want to die with the rest of my nation. Swear to me that my family will be safe. Say it. Give me an oath. And they said, all right. When we come back, Jericho's walls are coming down. But we'll make sure that you and your family are safe. But we need to swear you an oath. You've got to swear to us. This oath that you made us swear will not be binding unless we enter the land. So Rahab here is your salvation. Here's what you've got to do. I want you to get a red cord. And I borrowed this from my wife. It's not mine. <laughs> but I want you to get a red cord. And when we go out that window, when we go out that window, I want you to put a red cord out that window. And I want you to hang it there. And when we come back into town, mm, and when we march around these walls and they fall down, Your house that has the red cord will not come down. It will stand while everything else is falling. This red cord represents the cross of Jesus Christ. It represents the blood of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that will keep your house standing. Oh, somebody help me preach right now. There's nothing that will help your life stand like the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. Woo, everything's going down, and their house is standing. They said, if you tell what we're doing, if you snitch on us, we'll be released from the oath we made to you. She said, agreed. And when she did, they came back, and they walked around the walls of that city, and the city came tumbling down except for one section. I looked for a picture of Jericho's wall with that little house standing, but I couldn't find one, just cartoons, and I didn't want to make a joke out of it. But I will tell you that everything that surrounded that city failed except one segment of that wall. And there was one house on top of that wall. And it was Rahab's house and all her family. And there was one thing that was so indicative of that house. There was a red cord dangling out the window on the outside of that wall. Here's what I want to tell you, folks. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I will never stop preaching about the blood of the Lamb. There is power in the blood of the Lamb. There's healing in the blood of the Lamb. There's salvation in the blood of the Lamb. There's victory in the blood of the Lamb. There's stand up in the blood of the Lamb. There's faith in the blood of the Lamb. Everything we do is because Jesus shed his blood for us on the cross one day. Thank God for the scarlet Cord. she applied the blood of Jesus to her home if you don't like the story that's been written right now in your life there's a way out but the only way out is Jesus some think this way you know if I just get another degree or get another job or get another wife or <laughs> move to another town I'll just keep writing I'll just keep trying it won't change one thing in your life it'll get darker but when you allow Jesus to change your life the Bible says he has the unique ability to take all your bad, dark days and turn them around for good. I wrote this a little special for you. Romans eight twenty eight. I added a little something. Here's what it says. We know that in all things God works for the good, for those who. And I wrote, oh, God, I surrender my life to you. I love you. To those who are called according to his purpose. Somewhere in your life, you have got to lift your hands and say, God. I want to tell you something. I am tired of me-isms in my, in my life. I'm tired of me writing my book. I'm ready for you to take the pen out of my hand, and I'm ready for you to write my book because I want you to know, I want you to know that I can't do life by myself. I need you to help me do life. And when I got you in my life helping me do life, I can do life. Oh, somebody help me preach right now. And in this summer, in, on July the 8th, this summer day, wouldn't it be good to say, I surrender! Here I am, God. Take everything I am and make me what you want me to be. I promise you the ending's a whole lot better than what your ending's going to be. Come on, clap your hands and rejoice to that. That's the word of the Lord. He said, I got one more thing for you, girl. You're going to be the grandmother of Jesus himself third thing about her and what she would tell us, and this is the final thing she would say. God's story, she'd say, always has a redemptive ending. Redemptive means better than you think it is. That's what redemptive means. Redemptive is not just forgiving your sins. God's not that short-sighted. What's your plans? Oh, I just, guess I'll go to church, get saved, and one day hopefully I'll go to heaven. I'm not thinking about about anything, doing anything great in my life, but praise God, I'll at least go to heaven. Hear me. Give your heart to Jesus is not the end of your spiritual journey. It's the beginning of your spiritual journey, and God has so much more for you. Who knew, folks? Who knew that she'd be the great, 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 I won't count them all, but there's 28 of them, hallelujah, grandmother of Jesus in the gospel of Matthew. Her name is mentioned again. Two gospels start off in the genealogy and one is Matthew in the first chapter and the other is Luke in the third chapter. And Matthew starts with Abraham and shows 42 generations later that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, the father of faith. So it gives Abraham's son, the next son, the next son 42 times till it gets down to Jesus. Now you've got to catch this. So, Matthew mentions 42 of the dads and the granddads of Jesus, but he inserts into the 42 grandfathers, you ready for this? Four grandmothers. Four. Four grandmothers. Not 42, just four. Women hardly made the script in the Bible, but four of them made the script in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, the question is why would Matthew do this? Why just four? And why these four? Here's the answer because Matthew didn't have such a good story himself, he was a tax collector. Hello. Anybody love them? How many of y'all love April the 15th? Don't you just love April the 15th? Come on, let's just cheer for April the 15th. Just a great day. No. No. And Matthew, the tax collector, wanted all of us to know that in the middle of Jesus' genealogy weren't all these perfect people. There was some imperfection. And so Matthew chapter 1 verse 3, Judah is named He's the father of twin boys named Pharez and Zerah. Their mother was Tamar. Now, you've got to go read that story in Genesis 38 when you go home. One of the darkest, ugliest stories you'll ever read in the Bible. And yet she winds up being one of the grandmothers of Jesus. And then you read about Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And we already know what her story was. And then we read about Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And she wasn't even Jewish. She was a Moabitess. She, didn't, wasn't any, she was a Gentile, didn't fit into the Jewish lineage. And she ends up in the genealogy of Jesus. He lets outsiders in. You know why? Because Matthew, the tax collector, wanted you to know that outsiders can get into the kingdom of God also. You know what I'm doing? I'm taking your excuses away one at a time because it don't matter how deep you've gone, how far you've gone. There's a God in heaven that can come to where you are. David said, if I make my bed in hell, he's there. If I take the wings of morning, he's there. God Almighty wants you to let him rewrite your story today. Hallelujah. I'm getting on fire here. Now watch this. David was the father of Solomon. This is in Matthew, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. It doesn't mention her name, but that's Bathsheba. You know her. That's the girl who's out bathing on her sunroof privately one day because all the men and the kings are supposed to be gone to war. Yet David over there lusting after her and her husband, Uriah, he has him killed in battle. He takes her to be his wife, and she didn't even ask for it. In fact, she was the victim of the story. I really believe that. Imagine the grief of losing your husband, then being shamed by the king of the nation in that kind of way. What does it all mean? Why did Matthew insert these four names? Because Tamar's story shows that God will forgive the darkest sin. Rahab's story shows that God will use you regardless of your past. Ruth's story shows that God will leave not leave anyone out. And Bathsheba shows that God can heal any situation. Can I just stop and say, What's your excuse? What are you leaning on? If these four women not only were saved but brought into the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are you to say that God don't want you in the kingdom? Come on. It's not his will that any should perish. But all should come to repentance. I'm reaching for you today. Somebody needs to make a decision in your life today. And it needs to be yes. God wanted you to know that he can turn your story around. So pastor, my story may be dark now. But remember the four grandmothers of Jesus. So before she jogs back into the stands, I'm convinced she would say, you need to let him write your story. Here's how. God invites you to be a part of his story. He said, you got, you got problems, why don't you, just, why don't you just dump them on me? Why not you just give them to me? My burden is light my yoke is easy. I'll give you something better. Why don't you give me your mourning, let me give you some gladness. Why don't you give me your sorrow, let me give you some joy. Why don't you give me something that you, just can't, you can't get rid of and watch me turn it around? Say yes, say yes. If it means, if, I mean, if he comes and asks to be a part of your story, say yes to him. Stop resisting God. He's been dealing with you for a long time. I mean, I resisted God, folks. I really did, though I knew what God wanted. It was hard to say yes. I was under such conviction because I didn't think, I really didn't think I could do what I'm doing right now. I had no backing. I had nobody. I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to get out of that small town in West Texas I let fear keep me from saying yes, and one day, in the back of a store that I was working at, at the end of my second year of college, it's when I decided to go to seminary, but in the back of a a store, I knelt down and I said, God, I can't do this anymore, you won't let me up, you won't let me have a breath, I can't do this, and so, God, if you really have something for my life, I'm totally in, I'm I'm giving up right now, I, I surrender, i wave the flag. I'm sorry. I, I, I've run as far as I can run. I'm done running. And if you'll save me into doing what you want me to do, I'll be all in. I'm going all in today, Lord. I'm going all in. And I went up and I told the man up front they was going to give me a two-year degree at Stephen F. Austin because they wanted to make me a leader of the store. And they was going to send me to college and pay my tuition. I said, sir, I can't go to Stephen F. Austin. I can't do that. I can't go to Stephen F. I've, I've, I've got to go to seminary. I've got to preach the gospel. And here I am today because I had a meeting one day in the back room of a store. And I said, no more of my story. I want your story in my life. Would somebody help me preach right now? It's time to lay yours down and pick his up. Hallelujah. Everybody say, the dark stories are over. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I can bring light to your story. It won't be perfect, but I'm going to tell you, you'll be full of light. You'll have the light of life. And how do I get that? Luke 9, Jesus said, whoever wants to be that kind of disciple must deny themselves. In other words, they must take the pen out of their hand and give it to me because it's not yours anymore. You have to stop writing your own story. Salvation is the day when you simply surrender the control of your own life to a better author who's writing a better book than you're writing about yourself. So deny yourself. Take up the cross and follow me. Will this work, Pastor? Will it? Why don't you just jump? Why don't you just take that leap? I dare you. I dare you to let Jesus take control of your life and see what happens. I dare you. Are there snakes in the water? Oh, yeah. There'll be some trying to come. But I promise I'll never bring a whip out, and neither will he. He'll love to see you running down the road trying to dry yourself off because you've jumped into the water of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Nothing like it in all the world. <laughs> the second thing she would say before she'd go back to the stands. now God wants to surprise you with his love, so accept him. Let God write it now, just accept him. Rahab would say, "God pick me. God does that intentionally. You know the darkest people, the darkest stories God uses them. You know what? He used Moses, folks. Talked to him on the backside of the desert. He was a stutter. He stuttered so bad he had to, uh, he had to transfer his back, uh, back, back of the desert experience to Aaron. And Aaron went before the people and before Pharaoh. Because Moses didn't have the ability to talk to people like that. But God used him and he was even a murderer. And God let him lead three million people to the brink of the promised land. God's going to write your story. Amen. How about King David? We sang his psalms up here almost every Sunday. And David had a man killed in battle and took his wife and committed sin and then married her. How about Paul? How about Saul? Wrote half the New Testament, and yet he was, a killing, he was a killing Christians in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. And God knocked him down and turned him around. And then he became the greatest apostle of all. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. You can't write that story. You can't say that. You can't do that to yourself. But I know a God that can. I know a God that can, and he shed his blood for us. Oh, he really did. He shed his blood for us, and you need, to, you need to appreciate the fact that his blood is our redemptive power. Why don't you accept him? Just say yes to him. Randy, if you'll help me, I appreciate it. And then she would say, don't only say yes to him. Don't just receive his love. She said, the best moment of your life and of my life was when I ended up being the great-grandmother of of Jesus he wants your story to touch other people see that probably are in the same situation that you were I want to just dispel a thought that drives me so crazy about church people because church people have this myth that you can't really do anything for God until you get all your act together that's a lie God will never use a perfect person to do a perfect plan he uses imperfection to get it done And I don't care what you're fighting. I don't care what you're wrestling against. Understand God wants to use your story. We have people in this church, folks. We have women in this church. And we're a pro-life church. But we have women in this church that have had abortions. And we've had people that given up children for adoption. We've had men and women that have went to prison for taking lives. Well, what are they doing here? Because God got a hold of the pen of their life. You know, we're all in the hospital. We're all needing help. It's a sad day when we got more doctors than we got patients. We all need Jesus in our life. I'm still there. I'm probably in the bed next to you. I'm just a little bit further toward the exit. But I'm in there too because all of us need Jesus every day of our life. God does not use perfection. He uses imperfection to do his perfect will in the lives of people. But one day he's going to stand and say, look what happened to them. And you know the joy of it. He laid down his life for us. He served us so we could turn around and being saved, serve him back. Boy, I feel this right now. We could serve him back. Martin Luther King said it this way. Everyone can be great because everyone has the ability to serve. We need to serve the Lord with our life and with our heart. Don't try to dictate your end of your life. Let God write that story. Let God write that story. Who would ever believe that Elisha would do 28 miracles, but when he died, he just had 27 of them. And after he was dead, a man that was killed in battle was thrown into his grave, open grave, and when he hit the bones of Elisha, he jumped up running back. He came alive. Even after you're gone, your life will be legendary. If you let God write the book Amen. Let God write the book And I close today Here's the fourth one Here's the fourth one Let God write your story Say yes to him here's the, here's the fourth one Paul wrote to Timothy He said this is a trustworthy saying that, And everyone should accept it Jesus Christ came to the world To save sinners And I'm the worst I'm the worst Here's what you need to understand. God signs his own name to your story. So, what you need to do is just live in thanksgiving and thankfulness to him. He writes his name to your story. I remember when he signed mine. I remember when he signed my picture, my story. I remember it. I know exactly where it happened. I can take it to exactly the place where I said, Not mine, but yours. And it happened. And it's going to happen to some people in this house today. It may not be a public show here at the front, but it's going to happen because God's dealing with lives in this heart, in this house today. He's doing that. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? And everyone stand to your feet. I'm going to talk to you just a little bit, then I'm going to pray for you. Amen. 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 We have a little time, so stay with me now. Stay with me. Nobody get in a hurry. Nobody get in a hurry. Bow your heads. Close your eyes just a moment. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I'm not going to separate the haves from the have-nots because everybody could raise their hand right here today, right now. But as your heads are bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to lift your hands and I want to pray this prayer. Dear Father, in the name of the Lord, I bless this congregation. I bless these precious people. And God, I preached about a real bad person today that found a real great God and because she found that great God you put her in the lineage of Jesus Christ and Lord when I preach things like this it it just puts the excuses away from everything I am there's no excuse there's no excuse for me not living for God loving God and honoring you there's no excuse for not letting you have the pen of my life and let you write my story. There's no use, no sense. I need to surrender. I need to surrender. I need to give up trying to do this myself and let you help me in my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, I can't get over these drugs without you. I can't throw alcohol down, Lord. I can't quit it. I can't it's robbing me of my family it's robbing me of my life it's hurting me it's destroying my home I gotta let it go I gotta let it go God I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I've been abusive I'm so sorry I've been an abuser I'm so sorry I've done some things in my life I'm not proud of it God I want my story to change I want to turn around today I want to stop I want to stop I want to stop. (laughs) The presence of the Lord is in this house right now. The glory of God is in this house right now. And I want you to raise your hands to him right now. And I want you to say yes to his story. Come on, just start saying yes. Say, I agree, Lord, yes. Yes to your story. Yes to what you have for me. Yes, Lord, to what you desire me to be. Yes, yes, yes. I'm tired of my sinful ways. I'm tired of my my prejudice ways. I'm tired of my, my bad language ways. I'm tired of the things that I've been doing. I want to be identified with your family. I don't want to be identified with my story. I want your story in my life. God, write a new chapter today. Write a new book today. Start a new series today in my life. I want to say thanks, Lord. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now here's what I want to do today. Church is really about over now. It's all right. To all of our people watching online, I would trust that you would follow me till we close off the service today, you people online. Because I want to pray into your homes and into your lives. To our precious church in Tulsa, we honor you today. We thank you. The church is growing and we honor that. But I want to talk into your spirits today. I really do. But I'm going to dismiss those that want to go. But those that would like for me to pray a special blessing over you. And maybe you'd like to come and just say, Lord, I really would like for you to rewrite my story.